Today we're going to start with the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us, so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. The Bible story of Jonah is very famous. Most people have been taught it from the earliest experiences in Sunday school. To many people, Jonah is just a fairy tale that is, like many other myths, not believable. But for the believing Christian and the Bible-believing person, the book of Jonah is a very, not only believable story, but I think an essential story to understanding how God works in the world and understanding the heart of God, not just in the New Testament, but in the whole Bible. The book of Jonah starts out with the word of the Lord. And the thing about the prophets are that the prophets, they are not giving 
their own opinion on things. They all have opinions. Many of the prophets were people who suffered with depression or anxiety, and you'll hear their complaints. But when they were speaking to the people, they would usually start the same way, thus says the Lord, so that what they said was not their own opinion, but rather the word of God. So it is the word of the Lord that we begin with in Jonah. And the word says, Jonah, arise, go to, the, to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So God allows Jonah to be part of a rescue mission, a warning mission. We don't know based upon this story, and certainly Jonah should not have known whether or not the people were going to repent, but Jonah does not like the Assyrians. Now, who were the Assyrians? Well, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was a country that was one of the most powerful nations on earth. And in fact, during its time, it was the most powerful nation on earth. It was known for its cruelty. They would often mutilate people, torture people to death, and it was written in stone. And throughout their history, there's a record where you can find what the Assyrians did. Some liberal scholars back in the 1800s even denied that Assyria ever existed because, at least as a country in Nineveh, and they tried to discount what the Bible said by saying Nineveh wasn't even a city. The reason they said this was that Nineveh was actually buried in sand. And then later on, archaeologists were able to actually dig up and find in the sand the ancient city of Nineveh. And some of the places that were there were, in fact, the tomb of Jonah, of all people. Well, Nineveh was a city, and it was the city that was the capital of the most powerful nation on earth. And God had a message to them that they were going to be destroyed, and Jonah was told to go. Now, we know the story, if you're familiar at all with the book of Jonah, you know that Jonah was not happy with this. He goes the opposite way of where God told him to go. He gets on a ship going west when he should have been walking east. And that ship was going to Tarshish. Now, most scholars believe that Tarshish is located in Spain. And that means that he would have gone a very long ways away from Nineveh, completely the opposite side of that part of the earth. As he gets on the ship, the sailors are prepared for a long journey. He has conversations with them because we find out later when they have the storm that he told them when they asked, why are you going? He said, well, I'm running away from the Lord. I, I, I need to go somewhere and I need to get out of town. And so he was just basically running away from God. Now to the sailors, they just took it in probably one ear and out the other, maybe even rolled their eyes at him, but they had heard him talk. Well, when they got on the ship and they started setting sail, it didn't take them long to run into a storm. God didn't waste much time. And the storm was very hazardous. Now, I don't know if you understand about sailing, but sailing has been around for, for millennia. And there's literally, by the time 
Jonah lived in the 8th century BC, there had already been hundreds, if not thousands of years of experience of sailing. And this knowledge was passed down from one group to another so that sailors were professionals. They understood how to handle sails and they knew when it was stormy and when it was not going to be stormy. And, and they would have probably not chosen to go out if they saw a storm coming. So this storm was one that had suddenly appeared and they said, this is not natural. Something is unusual about it. They did everything in their power to try to stop the storm. They threw things, the tackle and the goods over to lighten the ship. And then they had everybody pray to their own God. They had every solution that they could think of because sailors, one thing about sailors is they often have a reputation for being superstitious. And they didn't want to leave any rock unturned. They wanted every single option to be used. Well, one of them decided to go find Jonah because they noticed that he wasn't doing anything. And they found him sleeping. Now, Jonah, while everyone else is panicked, he's sleeping in the middle of this storm. I've always wondered about how the, the difference is between Jonah and Jesus, because Jesus was also in a storm on a boat and was sleeping. But Jonah was the prophet of the Lord, and he wasn't worried about the storm, but for different reasons than Jesus, who was the greatest prophet of the Lord, and in fact, the son of God. But Jesus, he was not doing wrong. He was doing right. And in Jonah's case, he was, in fact, doing wrong. And if you were to compare the two storms, you would say that when Jesus got up, he rebuked the, the seas, which means that the winds and the seas had to obey him. They were not in order. But when Jonah is in the mess, God is behind the storm. So I'd like to think that in this case, the motivation for both Jesus and Jonah were different. Their state of mind was different. And the one responsible for the storm was different. I think that God was chiefly responsible for the storm of Jonah, whereas I think Satan was chiefly responsible for the storm in the New Testament that affected Jesus and the disciples. Jesus was not running away from anything. Jonah was running away from his responsibilities. So Jonah clearly was God's prophet. He was trying to avoid doing what God told him to do. One of the things I like and I think is refreshing about Jonah is that Jonah is honest about who, who and what he was and what he was doing. Jonah did not pull any punches he just basically didn't like the Assyrians. And we find out later in the book that Jonah is bitter that God would even think about sending a prophet to those mean Assyrians who were known for their cruelty and for their awful, awful conditions that they put people through. Nineveh was located, as I said, in northern Iraq. It was in between the east and the west. It had grown to be wealthy because it was on that pathway between the east and the west. And plus, they were known for their military power. So Jonah's in trouble. The men are in trouble on that boat. 
And when they finally wake Jonah up, they end up trying to ask him why this is happening. And in fact, what they do is after they ask him to pray to his God, they cast lots. They really wanted to know who was responsible. They needed confirmation for what was going on. So it was often the case that when humans back then did not know what was the right plan, they would cast lots to remove the human element, and they would literally let God decide by lot who or what was the right path or the right answer. So when they did this, the lot fell to, you guessed it, Jonah. But Jonah admitted it, and Jonah said, all you have to do is you need to throw me overboard. Now they had asked him, who are you? Where are you from? A whole series of questions. And Jonah just said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now the men got very scared because all the other gods that they were praying to were specialty gods who probably were the God of this group or that group or whatever the, the tribal God was. They may have been a a god to a certain element, the god of the sun, the god of the sea, a god of something. But Jonah said, my god is the god who made everything, the land and the sea, and I'm a Hebrew, and I'm a prophet of God because I fear the Lord. They knew about this, and they were afraid in verse number 10, and said to him, why have you done this? They knew he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah made no secret of his reasoning and of his running from the Lord. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? So they really wanted help. They said, if this is the man responsible, we want to know what to do. And that's when Jonah said, throw me over. Now, these men, to their credit, were not pirates, they were not ruthless cutthroats. These were men who had some decency about them. They seemed to be men who were not willing to just commit some act of random violence or any violence against anybody. So when they came to this point, they were resistant and they tried to do whatever they could to avoid throwing him overboard but they actually go to God and they actually pray to God for mercy. Because remember, Jonah is authorized by God as the Lord's prophet. And Jonah, therefore, is telling them the truth. Uh, To my knowledge, Jonah didn't lie anywhere in this story. At least he didn't lie. He was mistaken, but he didn't lie. And when he told them this, they said, Lord, your man is telling us to do this. We don't want to be found guilty for killing an innocent man, so please don't hold us accountable. So that's their first prayer. Now, they had tried all these other prayers. They had, prior to this, prayed to their gods. They had tried to throw out all the tackle and the goods and the things they had. They had tried to solve their problem, but nothing worked. So now they were given the right solution, but they were afraid it was the wrong solution. So they said, please, please do not hold us accountable for the innocent blood. And it's at that point they threw him over and the sea got totally calm. And they could have just left it at that and celebrated. But instead, 
The Bible says that they feared the Lord exceedingly. Now, prior to this time, they had a basic fear of almost any God. Whichever God was causing you troubles, you made your peace with that God. That was their thinking. So they were willing and open to accept any kind of God as long as it was convenient to them and helped them to, to make it through life. And I think that's a lot of people today. They're willing to accept the good things that they want to accept about God or any God or any philosophy or any ideas that they received uh, online or, or in television or in print. Anything that seems to help them, the latest solution to whatever problem, whatever the fashionable solution to their problems, they're willing to accept it. But these men, once they had actually been saved out of an unbelievably bad storm, and it was instantaneous, and after they had asked God to protect them, that's when they really feared the Lord, and they got right with God. And it says here that they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. To take these vows is very important because they not only were making one sacrifice for one moment to honor God, but now they are actually committing themselves to the Lord. Now, I think that there are many Christians in the world who may not be as dramatic as Jonah, but nevertheless, they're like Jonah. God tells them to do one thing and they do another. They just don't want to do it. Whatever the stubbornness of their hearts, they just don't want to do it. God says, clearly do this, and they do the opposite. They're like Jonah. Maybe they are stubborn and they just really resist. And so they go the wrong way. And surprise, surprise, just like Jonah, God throws storms in their lives. Now, not all storms are caused, as I said earlier, by the Lord. Sometimes storms are caused by the devil. But regardless, God can send storms today too. And in Jonah's case, it not only affected him, but it affected other people. But the good news of this story is that even when Jonah was going the completely opposite direction of the Lord, even when Jonah was completely wrong in his stubbornness and his hard-headedness and his stiff-necked resistance to God, Jonah ended up causing people to get saved even in his disobedience, that God used him despite his stubbornness. These men got saved due to the fact that the prophet of the Lord went the wrong way. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's right to go the wrong way. Of course not. But what I am suggesting is, is that God can use you wherever you are. And God can use you even when you have done wrong and you've been stubborn. Just remember, though, <laughs> while Jonah was used by God when he broke God's commandment, he did pay a price. And that price was severe. He got thrown into the sea. Now, for those men, they got saved and everything was calm. They didn't have to spend three days and three nights in the deep of the ocean, in the belly or in the mouth of a fish. So in Jonah's case, he had it far worse. Jonah was very scared 
but he was resigned to the fact that the only way was for him to be thrown overboard. Now, I think Jonah suffered from depression. I think that he was willing to give up his life. I think he just wanted to end it all. Uh, I don't think he had any anticipation that the Lord was going to do what he did. But when uh, the fish swallowed him, Jonah knew he was in trouble. And he, he got really serious with God. Chapter 2 of Jonah tells us that he cried out to the Lord because of his affliction and that the Lord answered him. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 2, out of the belly of Sheol, which was the Hebrew word for the place of the dead, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. In other words, that was the end as far as he knew it. He thought he had died. There are some who say and ask the question, how can a man survive being swallowed by a whale or a fish? Now, I don't know whether it was a whale or a fish, and the distinction between a whale and a fish is a more modern distinction. So I'm not really worried about whether it was a whale or a fish because whatever it was, it did the job. I'm also not wanting to support the belief that, that Jonah was in there and that he had to be able to have some way of surviving it naturally. Far as I know, I kind of agree with those who say he could have died but was resurrected later on. And I think that that makes the symbol, the sign of Jonah, as a representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus very important and maybe more realistic. So as far as I'm concerned, whether Jonah survived it or not, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't have to have some way in which Jonah actually survived the, the fish or being swallowed by the well because... He could have died in it and just been brought back, which is kind of what I believe. And here in this story, in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. He gave up. Maybe he was completely gone. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. So when he was down to his worst, he did at the last moment pray out to God. He says to his holy temple, because remember, for the people of Israel, the temple of the Lord was where the Holy Spirit was dwelling. It was the center point of God's representation of himself to the world. So that was the direction he needed to pray. Today, thank God, the Holy Spirit is with every believer and is available to all of us and in our own hearts if we truly believe. So we don't have to pray directionally toward Jerusalem, but Jonah did and he prayed and God heard his prayer. Whether he died or not, he was saved. 
Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy in verse number eight of chapter two. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving and will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah survived it one way or the other and he makes his way a very long journey to Nineveh. And when he gets to Nineveh, he begins to preach and he walks around the city. It's a three days journey in extent, we find out in chapter three. Three days meaning to walk in every neighborhood, to walk in all the streets would take you three days. So it wasn't something that he could just do instantly. It was a very big city. I know that in our little town of Hickory Valley, it wouldn't take you three days to walk all of our streets. It would just take you a matter of 30 minutes or something, maybe not even that long. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh and he went to preach and his message was simple. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He wasn't saying peace, love, and harmony. He, he was really being very bare minimum. He was obeying the Lord, but only at a minimum amount. He went and preached and he says, you got 40 days, you'll be overthrown. That was it. The number 40 is a very powerful number as we've learned in the past by studying that number. We know that it's a symbol of judgment. It's a symbol of trial. It was a symbol of hard times. And so God was giving them 40 days and then they would be overthrown. And, and Jonah went out and he just preached this. Now, I don't know what caused the people to be receptive. Uh, I don't know what if, if there's some kind of formula involved here, but let me allow myself to try to think through this because I think that God was already preparing a prophet to go preach to them because the people's hearts were already prepared. This world doesn't satisfy you. Nineveh was the most powerful capital in the world, and the Assyrians were the most powerful nation on earth. But they were known for their cruelty. They were known for how they had abused people, and I think that having it all and seeing this cruelty wore out their consciences. I think that having it all is not as satisfying as you think it could be. The heavyweight boxer Tyson Fury from Great Britain, he had it all in terms of success as a heavyweight champion, but he got in trouble like many people do with drugs and alcohol, and this brought him down, and he had severe anxiety issues to the point to where he just kept saying, I'm going to change tomorrow. I'm going to change the next day. I'm going to change the next day. But after partying, after drinking, after this severe problem and the addictions and the anxiety issues and the mental health issues, he just couldn't solve his own problem until he finally got right with God. And he called upon God and he did get straightened out. And he passed his psychological uh test. He got his boxing license back and he sure enough recently won the heavyweight championship of the world again. Upon being interviewed, he gave thanks to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
for doing this. Now, I know what you're thinking. Does God really care who wins a boxing match? And that's kind of the way I look at things about sports and any other thing. What does it really matter? Does it matter who wins and who loses? But then I want to also caution you that I am not God, and I'm not going to tell God what he should care about and what he shouldn't care about. Jonah, he was concerned with what God cared about, and he says, God, I knew that if I preach to them, you're a merciful God and you can save them. And Jonah didn't want them to be saved. That's how much he hated these people. Well, in boxing and any other sport, I don't know if God cares that much about who wins a ball game or a match, but I will tell you this, he might. He might care. And regardless, you might want to go to the Lord and give him credit nonetheless. I will say that if you win or you lose, you should, you should still thank God. Thank God for all things and give him the glory no matter what. And in the case here, I think that God has a plan. God has a plan for the Ninevites. And sure enough, the scripture here says that the people of Nineveh responded to what Jonah said. You see, I think that God had led Nineveh to the height of their civilization. And then because of their corruption, because of their criminality, because God was literally creating a, a dissatisfaction in their hearts, that they were seeking something else. They needed something else. And, and I think they didn't know what to ask. And the only one who could tell them was God's prophet. So God had prepared the Ninevites and had a prophet who, despite not wanting to go, he ends up sending. But Nineveh actually responds to this message in chapter 3, verse 7. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, because the king of Nineveh, in verse number 6, when he arose from his throne, he laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The people of Nineveh had believed, and they repented, and then that reached up to the king himself. I think that if the people of any country will repent, if the people of any country will listen to the warnings of God and to, of God's prophets. If the people get right, then I think ultimately the leaders get right as well. And they did. And they proclaimed a decree in chapter 3, verse 7. This decree said, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? They repented. And they not only repented, but they made it a proclamation so that all the people would get along and do the same thing. What a successful preacher. Most preachers would love to have that kind of revival, 
And very few preachers ever experience things like that. And yet, Jonah had the experience. He didn't want to do it. And then when he got the results of thousands of people getting right with God, he wasn't happy. (laughs) Then God saw their works in verse number 10 of chapter 3, that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So Jonah was mad. He hated the Assyrians. He just had it with the Lord. He was upset with God. It's hard for us to understand Jonah's position, but remember that Jonah He knew maybe he had personal reasons for hating the Assyrians, but he knew how bad they were. He knew how corrupt they had been. He knew their idolatrous ways. He knew what they had done, and he really felt they deserved great judgment. And even in in our own time, our own bitterness and our resentment toward those who we consider our, our enemies in our culture or politically or whatever, we could might, in in a sense, identify with Jonah because a lot of times we don't really want them to be received mercifully, but sometimes we just want them to be punished. But in this case, God was merciful. And so the Lord was going to teach Jonah a lesson. Now, Jonah got the lesson. And finally, we find out in the end of this story that God sent a plant that covered Jonah under the heat of the sun and it gave him some relief. But then the next day a worm came up and ate away the plant. And so the heat came back and it was fierce. And and of course, Jonah got mad. So God said to Jonah in chapter four, verse nine, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. You see, Jonah, when he holds on, doesn't he? He really holds on to this this bitterness. He's so stubborn. He's just really mad. He's got a lot of anger issues like many people today. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? So all of these living beings, the people, the animals, they don't even know one way or another. Should I not care about them? Does God not care about our cities? I know that many people move from the cities because they get tired of the cities. They're tired of the crime. They're tired of the stories. If you watch the local news, the cities are not the happiest of places, at least from the news perspective. And there's just a lot of people who don't want to have anything to do with the cities. But who is God calling to go to the cities because God cares about those people no less than the people in the rural areas or in the small countries? God cares about the cities. He cares about the people. Maybe we need missionaries to our cities. We need the prophets of the Lord in our cities to proclaim because one of the reasons why we are 
having such judgment upon our own land is due to the fact that it's in our cities in particular, we are not doing right. And we need God to do the, what he did in Nineveh in every city in America. And we need God to straighten things out. And I know many people who have escaped the city have the attitude of Jonah. I don't want anything to do with that city. And it's not just here in our local area where we think about Memphis, Tennessee, and the rural areas surrounding it. It could be any city in the world where people get tired of the cities. But it is in the cities where the most people are. And it is the cities that we need to pray that God will send his prophet and that his message will get to the people. But I think that we also want the ground to be prepared that people in the cities would stop being satisfied by what the cities claim is their convenience and claim is their excellence because we want them to wake up. We want people to wake up to their misery that they may learn that they can find relief in the Lord. For many decades, people flocked to the cities because they thought that's the real life. But I think that God is sending a dissatisfaction in our own day with the cities, and that dissatisfaction only prepares the way for them to turn to the Lord. And we need all the cities to turn to the same God who sent Jonah 3,000 or 2,700 years ago. We need God to intervene today. We need the Lord. And that may mean that many of us have to get out of our comfort zones and we may have to do some work in the cities. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go, but ironically, Jonah succeeded. Now, we never hear about Jonah being uh, kind to these people. We don't hear any nice words about them, but from our history and our archaeology, we know that the city of Nineveh actually made a tomb for Jonah, and there's actually more than one site claiming to be the tomb of Jonah, so I don't know which one's right or if either one are right, but the fact that the tradition says that Jonah was honored by the Ninevites tells me a lot. It tells me that that. This whole story that Jonah tells is also a confessional. And Jonah doesn't brag about himself and say good things about himself in this story. And maybe that's why Jonah wrote it the way he did. But I actually think that in the end, Jonah accepted these words from the Lord. And I think that he was kind to the people of Nineveh. And as far as I know, perhaps they accepted him and, and loved him and showed appreciation to him for what he did for them, despite the fact that he didn't want to do it. You might say that Jonah was one of the greatest missionaries ever, and he didn't even want to do the work. He hated the job, and yet he became very successful. There are many people who want to be missionaries. There are many people who want to be successful. They want God to do a great work, and they don't see near the success that Jonah saw. But at the same time, I don't think many of us want to go through what Jonah went through. And I for sure don't want to be swallowed by some fish. But if I get cast overboard, I would rather be swallowed by the fish and end up surviving it. God worked through Jonah. And even though Jonah wasn't doing right, God did right by him. 
And God can do by, right by us as well. Even with our own stubborn hearts, even when we mess up, even when we go the wrong way, God has a plan for our lives. And that plan, we must have faith in God. God is the same God today that he was in Jonah's day, and he can do miracles today like he did in those days. And he can change hearts today, just like he changed hearts then. We just need to have the faith to believe and proclaim uncompromisingly the word of the Lord. And when preachers are willing to preach the truth and preach that God is a God of judgment, but he's a God of mercy as well, then people will turn to the Lord. But we've got to get rid of our idols. We've got to get rid of this idea that God somehow is never going to judge anything or anybody. We've got to get rid of the idea that we just have to go along with whatever the world is saying. And we've got to get ourselves out of this and go to the Lord and realize this world doesn't satisfy us and only God has a solution for us. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us hope. He died for us on a cross. You know, they threw Jonah overboard, but Jesus really was the true innocent man who was sacrificed. He did die for our sins. And the storms of judgment that should have come upon every one of us were passed away because of what Jesus did. The spiritual seas calmed for all of us to allow us opportunity to be saved because one man was thrown out and his name was Jesus. He died for us and he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead and he conquered death and our faith in him is what's gonna make us saved. We're not right with God because we do right. We're right with God because he, Jesus, was right and we believe in him and we need to continue to believe in him. The Assyrians, they didn't deserve to be saved and Jonah was bitter because they were saved, but God saved them nonetheless. And we don't deserve to be saved, but God saves us nonetheless if we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, would you please help us today? May this message be received and be helpful to people who are struggling, who are bitter over the situation in the world, who may be bitter about what you've told them to do, who may be bitter about the cities and bitter about what's going on in this world. Would you please give each one of us the wisdom and grace to do your will and to be faithful. And may we see the modern equivalent of Jonah's in every city in America who are able to change lives only by proclaiming God's will and his message to these people. Do not let our cities die and perish forever, but give us relief, O Lord, from the judgment that we deserve. Have mercy upon each one of us and thank you for loving each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.